Yeah, so I think we're there now. Okay, so right, first of all, Karin, it's yeah, thank you very much for giving me the time uh, to to talk about you, your life, your experiences, um, and yeah. So you what you suggested that we start with the early years, the really really early years. Um, so when the war ended, if I'm not mistaken, you were about seven years old. Is this correct? When it stopped, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So do you, do you remember I was born it well? Right into, into the war, yes. Uh, before the war. Mm, yeah. Um, how do you remember? It? I mean, those those early years, because sometimes it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it, to have a proper recollection of things. But I mean, in those traumatic times, you remember you... very much. Yeah. Re- remember a lot. I remember details. My mother didn't remember. Uh, my father didn't remember. And I was only three or four years old. That's because you have to grow up very quickly in in those stressful times. Um, the thing is that uh, I was born in uh, Dortmund, but we lived in Reit, and Reit was one of the main targets of the British uh, Air Force mm. because uh, of uh, business uh, and industry, because of also that some major Nazis were born there. I think that that helped uh, find the target. Um, so I, the first thing I remember is bombardments, the the lights flashing from above and from below, the flak uh, responding to the bombs from up from up uh, in the sky. Um, as a child, I didn't refuse to, but I complained about having to leave my bed all the time and go down into the basement for protection. Um, there were some uh, near misses, um, but they didn't scare me. What scared me most was when my two-year younger brother uh, couldn't be awoken by my mother. And she said, here, hold the baby. I go and get some water. And for that, that was my f- most frightful experience of the war. For a long time, I was uh, slightly... Uh, afraid of what was happening, uh, the noise and, and the light and the bombs. And we had seven bombs in the house we lived in. Um, but after a while, I wasn't anymore because a friend of my father, uh, he uh, boulderized a German uh, song or fairy tale of the uh, mountain of rice where you could hide. So I was always hiding in the mountain of rice and nobody could touch me. Um, we were evacuated to the children and the mothers were evacuated. We were evacuated to Thuringia, which in the beginning was uh, liberated by the Americans. So my first experience with Americans was uh, a mixture of uh, friends who gave us chocolates and uh, took us rides in the in the tanks. Uh, I was six then. I'd uh, been to school for half a year and then evacuated, and then so I must have been about six. And so I lost all kinds of fears of people from different parts of the world. 
because after the Americans had gone, the Russians came in. And we were lucky that we had a colonel, a Russian colonel, in the house who also spoiled the children. So whenever I came with my little dirndl and the, the apron, I had to lift up the apron and uh, I would get all kinds of very nice cheeses, not chocolates, but cheeses, which was much more, much, much healthier because that was, that was um, cheese that uh, were also working against all kinds of diseases. You know, it, it was it was a positive experience. I, I cannot say anything else. So um, I got out of that uh, fairly unscathed. And I was we were all lucky because my immediate family uh, got out without uh, any wounds or any traumas. Uh, plus, I was lucky that my immediate family had nothing to do with the Nazis. So when I was about 12, I started uh, wondering what had happened because Jewish friends of my mother's and my uncles came to visit us and I loved those women. There were two women and uh, they had been neighbors of my father's and my uncle's and uh, I, I adored them. I, I, was clo I felt closer to them than to my own aunts. So um, it became a personal thing. It became a personal wanting to know what happened because I heard that uh, their 19-year-old brother had been shot, their parents had been gas chambered, and I couldn't fathom my then uh, just born brother that anybody would want to hurt them and I wouldn't start screaming. Um, so I asked my mother, there was the first uh, paperback uh, essays on Nazism and research on Nazism, and I was 12 and I got them for a present. So I, that's when I started to really get into it. And that was another thing of, of wanting to get out because you could trust your parents, you could not even trust all your family members. And as a child, that's very important that you have trust. And I couldn't trust some of the friends, parents or my parents' friends. So it was always I wanted to get out. I wanted to get away. I wanted, actually, I wanted to, to um, get into a different environment where I could trust so um just to clarify was, for, just to clarify for people a few people Thuringia was then therefore in the eastern it was in the east yes former east germany yeah yes okay. weimar and so on uh we were in gotha um so we made it back into the west into north rhine westphalia where we had lived and moved in to a ruin of a house uh, of my grandparents. Um, my parents uh, made it livable in some parts again, and we stayed there until 1959, when there were two bungalows built in the garden, and this house could be torn down. It had 
served us, our family, my parents, my two brothers and myself, my grandparents and an uncle very well right after the war. And um, it's, uh, it was not a loss. It was a huge house. It was a lovely house. My mother always said, I shouldn't say it, but uh, I'm glad it's gone because we would have been stuck in this beautiful big house with a lot of other people and we wouldn't have had our own realm, so to speak. Um, anyway, um, I tried to get out as much as I could. I was uh, one of the first to get into a, an exchange of students, of pupils with Finland. This was in 54. Two years later, I had the chance of going to England to um, spend about four or five months at an English school in Northumberland and uh, staying with a family, and it was wonderful. Um, when I came back, I had to catch up on what I had lost in, in the German school system, but I had gained so much more in the English school system and with the experience of something else and uh, lovely people and lots of help and uh, total trust. It was always a matter of trust. So I came back and I did finish my school and I went uh, into uh, general studies for about a year. My father said, okay, you can play around for a year but then you have to decide. And I started with uh, German studies, with uh, history of arts and philosophy, and without really being able to analyze what was going on, I had a very strange feeling, because particularly in, in the German literature courses, courses um, there were things like, um, oh, there was a beautiful, uh, French literature in the Middle Ages, but it was the Germans who gave them depth. And I thought, who? What is that? You know, what depth could Germans give to another country's uh, Minnesang uh, poetry? And I took step by step, I got out of Germanistics in Germany. And later discovered, of course, the brown Nazi, uh, not the Nazi uh, past of these professors, but they had been taught during the Nazi period. Mm. And that had had a strong effect on their thinking and their priorities. And uh, that, that, that wasn't my field. I loved literature and I later went back into it. But in America not in Germany. And I decided, okay, in Germany, I will um, do something practical. I learn languages. Um, I go to the Dolmetscher uh, Translator School in of the University of Heidelberg, which I did. After about three semesters, it became relatively boring. It was the same thing over and over again. It was always somebody else thinking and speaking and 
I only had to re uh, rethink and re uh, repronounce what they had been doing. So I uh, went to our I had um, law as a minor. I went to my law professor and said, I have to get out of here. It's, it's killing me. Otherwise, I won't finish. And he said, we have a very nice lady in Texas at Rice University. And she, her term is finished in three months. Why don't you apply? And I was lucky. I, was, I got, got the scholarship. And I still have a feeling uh, this is because of the report card I got from, from the English school which had one sentence which was more important than all the grades. She's very sociable. Hmm. This also got me a Fulbright travel grant. I'm absolutely sure that these, <laughs> this, this sentence uh, made the difference. So I got two scholarships to go to America, and of course I went. And I spent a year of intense experiences and um, lovely experiences, sad experiences, because I was in Texas and I hadn't realized what was happening in America, something that we now have been experiencing again. Racism, all of Rice University had no black face. One black person from South Africa was allowed to use the library. All the other black faces were janitors. Mm. Everybody teaching and studying at Rice University was white. There were some some Asians. Um, but then I learned, of course, what had kept uh, the Texans the way they were. They had had. They were among the the ones who had had the uh, grandfather clause and the uh, poll tax and uh, all kinds of other restrictions uh, and uh, for voting for voting uh, people couldn't vote if their grandfather had been a slave they couldn't vote if they didn't have money for the poll tax which wasn't levied from from the whites so all of these things kind of mixed together was a very very intense experiences uh, experience, and I must say I've I grew up, I was happy, I was sad, and um, actually I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back, but of course I did go back. My parents were waiting for me. I was homesick for them, and I had promised my father, if you stop your studies in, in uh, translation. Now you have to come back and finish it, and I did. I mean, the, the American angle is something that I really would like to, to get into because um, you know, I think that there are, there are lots of experiences that you had there which you intimate, um, which, as you said, you know, I think meaningfully that um, you know, these are things that we, we have been experiencing uh, particularly for the last couple of years, but I think in many parts of the world, they've never stopped experiencing these things. Um, but but I also want to go back a bit um, 
to to speak about the, the post-war years in in Germany because you luckily you said that you know none of your immediate family were involved with uh, the years you know the, the Nazi years from 1933 to 45 so um, you know it's it's not perhaps as difficult for you to look back but you know, looking back at the rebuilding years um, the, the years after the war um, and the government so Adenauer's government immediately after the war which was you know, the cabinet was sort of 50% um, you know, formed of Nazis. Um, how hard was this rebuilding culture? How hard was it for the, uh, for, for the people to, to s sort of settle into a new reality? Um, remember, I was uh, seven when the war was over, yeah. uh, which meant uh, you start thinking uh, I, in my case, I started researching, in quotation marks, when I was 12. It took some time before I was adult enough to think in terms of politics. This was experience, life's uh, experience. This was not politics, what I'd seen before. Mm. Um, I had, uh, I knew my father had absolutely kept me from uh, being drawn into any kind of uh, youth groups, what have you. My father was never also, uh, he was never uh, uh, required to go into the army because he had a hip problem. So in that sense, um, I didn't have the direct contact with a lot of things that maybe even my uncles, my grandfather's, were involved in or had contact with. Um, that I learned after I was 40. Um, as far as my grandfathers were concerned, one was very, very uh, religious and very, very loving. But I discovered that there was a portrait of his with the Iron Cross. And uh, not the Iron Cross, the, the Nazi Cross. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the swastika, the Hagen Cross. The swastika, yes, yeah. the swastika. Um, it was taken off the picture that I had, but I saw it in somebody else's home. So it took me. And a couple of years before, I had asked my aunt to... Um, use a tape recorder and... and tell about her childhood and she was talking about her father, my other, my father's father. Um, and she was read, uh, recalled that uh, after the after the 20s, both our families had lost their, their factories. They had textile. They weren't into textile. Um, so my father's father had joined the SA before 33 in 28 mm -hmm. because he thought he would have a better chance of getting a position as as a manager in Holland in in a company um, he had nothing basically to do with with the Nazis it it was just opportunism and it's it made me sick so um, that came 
or that realization came much, much later than my uh, my uh, political thinking. Political thinking was initiated in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but do you remember the, the the rebuilding years? So, as in you going to school, for example, in those years, uh, you know, how how much? So you mentioned that a lot of the textbooks, for example, were still uh, perhaps dominated in some ways by Nazi ideology. But um, the general mood of, of the other students was it like? Was was there still oh, there a fear fights. of bombs? Yeah, sorry, please. There were fights between us because uh, I had uh, a Jewish family, so to speak. And they were starting with with the anti-Semitism that they had heard at home. So it was, uh, you could either fight or you could shut up. And at first I fought and made my point. And then uh, I thought it's it's not worth it. I'm, I'm going to keep out of that problem but it's there um what was also there was uh, the uh opportunism of some families they made money out of the disaster of others and um in school it was uh when i got into secondary school uh we had one school building for the boys and the girls, but a boys' school and a girls' school separated. So either we had um, classes in the morning or we had classes in the afternoon. We were not supposed to either mingle or meet with the boys. Um, That was, uh, we took it for granted. It it was um, a time for about I would almost say six or seven years after coming out of the war, that we enjoyed being children again, not thinking, not being afraid, not analyzing everything or uh, having responsibilities for our small children, uh, small brothers and sisters or for our parents. Uh, you kind of were made responsible for everything uh, at a very young age during that time. Um, so for quite a number of years, I was simply a child, and I don't remember very much of that time. I remember more of the time when uh, during the war and shortly after the war. Okay, so from the age of of 12 on is perhaps where oh, you're... Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. And this is when... Uh, but there it was in the beginning was totally uh, geared toward anti-Semitism or the fight of anti-Semitism. I didn't know uh, what uh, the fact that, that Adenauer had uh, taken over one of the uh, lawyers who had uh, annotated the the laws against a Jewish um, against the marriage between Jews and non-Jews, um, Globke Globke uh, went to Bavaria for absolute uh, f- to be absolved of everything, and then came back and 
uh, Adenauer took him into his cabinet. Uh, and this, of course, happened to some other people. Uh, that I only learned much later. You know, these these things were not talked about in my parents' uh, circles because uh, my parents were basically non-political. And the people around them were non-political because they didn't want to divulge what, what they had done. So it was so, convenient for those others to be non-political. Yes, yes. Yeah, but that was that was the point where I had my the lack of trust. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it, the post-war days are fascinating for you know, so many different reasons. Um, but you know, it, it's it's important for for me to gauge the sort of the social side of things. You know how. Um, how people would face such extreme, um, uh, an extreme reality on one day and then thereafter, you know, that real reality has been quickly removed from their lives. And, and, and you mentioned also that you, you know, you really enjoyed your trip to, to the UK where you went to was it North, Northumberland, you said? Yes. Yeah. Newcastle. Uh, New, Newcastle. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, how, how was that? I mean, could you speak English before you went to, to the UK? Yes, yes. Yeah? Okay. Uh, first of all, I was Anglophile before I had my first lesson of English. Because, because um, our friends had fled to the States. Uh, my mother's friends had one family was in the States. The other one was in Leicester. Mm. And... Uh, of course, when when I met them and their children, uh, their children spoke English, a bit of German, but not uh, very much. And I wanted to communicate with them on their level, not on mine. And um, this is plus my, my father was in, in Japan for four years from 1932 to 1936. And he spoke uh, terrible pidgin English. But he did speak it. And my mother, of course, had also had six years of English in school. Uh, and she could understand quite a bit. So uh, there was there was uh, English around me. And, of course, uh, when I started English in high school at 10. Um, so by the time I uh, got into high school at 10, I knew some English, and then between high school and the English experience, I had six years of English in high school. So it was uh, plus if you if you really like it, you uh, learn a lot, even while the others don't. Absolutely. Um, okay, so then you that means you went to uh, the UK when you were eighteen. Sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. No, it's, I'm sorry, seventy. Seventy. And how was the reception there then? So, okay, obviously this one line that you mentioned um, suggests how friendly you were, but the first few weeks, the uh, you know, your introduction into life there and, you know, how receptive were the, were the Brits basically to this German girl? Very easy, very yeah. easy. I was with family. He was, um, the father was uh, a lawyer. The mother was a housewife with two children. They had invited me. They, I was their au pair, and they 
really, really uh, pulled me into their life and into the life of their friends. Um, there was no resentment. Um, there were some questions when I was in school. Of course, there came a German girl uh, so shortly after the war. And of course, there were uh, a number of Jewish uh, uh, pupils who had had quite a different kind of experience and they knew they had lost family uh, by the Nazis and so on. So there was a standoff for a while and then um, it, it went away totally. I don't did know you, why. Did uh, you befriend them? Did you communicate with them? Uh, I communicated how? with them. Of course, uh, in four months, you have a very few very close friendships, particularly we were living outside of uh, Newcastle or at the edge of Newcastle. The school was in Gosforth. And you didn't have the daily communication outside of school with, with a lot of people. Um, there were two friends who uh, really, really uh, became close. Um, one was 18 and she could drive. So she took us to Hadrian's Wall and so on and so forth. And of course, that was very, very exciting. But more exciting was that 10 years later, I met her by chance uh, at Borkum, a German island off the north coast. She was there with uh, friends uh, of family and I was there with my uncle. And all of a sudden we were back together again. It was in coincidence, but um, that was lovely. So um, that's the one friendship that stayed, except with the friendship with the family, the strange family and uh, the youngest daughter who was two years younger than I. Um, she came to visit me in Germany and we showed her around, spoiled her mm. as much as we could. So on, on the basic human level, um, your experiences after uh, I don't, how many years, 10 years after the war, 11 years after the war, when you went to the UK, were completely positive. Everybody was you know, very welcoming. You were able to establish I, friendships which lasted for years. I was lucky. I was lucky, probably because I had friends who spoke for me. You know, it's uh, there was no, um, I actually never had experienced or never late uh, experienced uh, afterwards any um, anti-Jewish, anti-German uh, resentment, uh, except maybe for, for the first couple of seconds. Mm -hmm. I was never, uh, other people were talking about, you know, uh, being called Nazis and so on. Uh, I. I was lucky. I never, I never, never had to go through that. And um, just one another quick question. And then just after the war, there were the, um, the, the the Nuremberg trials. This occurred in while you were still too young to to process the significance right. of of the event. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yes. The, the, the whole ramification of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I knew that they they uh, they happened. I knew that they the uh, some of the major Nazis were uh, exec, uh, executed. Um, I remember I think I remember that uh, I wasn't quite sure whether one should take a life or a life, but I could understand that if uh, other people said, you know, they should be killed. Um, I didn't hold it hold it against them. Um, no, it was it it kind of uh, happened and it I realized it was happening, but it didn't uh, really touch me the way it would have ten years later. Okay, all right. Um, and so after the your trip to the UK, and so therefore, as you suggested before, you, you wanted to be out and about. You didn't want to stay sort of, you know, sitting down in in Germany where you were. You wanted to be moving around, and the opportunity arose uh, through your university contacts to go to Texas. This was in 1959, 1960. 60, 60, 61, the year Kennedy was voted in. Mm. Yeah, how, how was how was the well, first of all the cultural change? So between Germany, between uh, okay the UK, um, you you were there for a few months, I suppose. So it's not quite as easy to compare. But between Germany and uh, the USA, how how were the your experiences in in in, in differentiation between these two places? Uh, I didn't have a, con- a culture shock at all. I had more of a culture shock when I went to. Britain uh, 20 years later. Okay. But we can talk about that later. Yes, of course, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, no, it was easy. Plus, uh, if you are at a university college, it's a different world. My, The only families I met were through my roommate and her friends. So it was kind of a secure environment uh, as long as uh, the girls I was in a girls college um, as long as they uh, accepted you and they did mm. and this is Houston yeah so obviously it's a, it's a large Houston. city it's a large city it was Rice University Rice Uni- had just been uh, uh, changed from its status from uh, institute to university and they had some 1,600 students, and per six students, they had one full PhD professor. Mm-hmm. So it was the ideal setup. You know, you you couldn't but learn. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, have you have you read the book Hidden Figures, uh, or, or are you familiar with the the movie? No. No. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's a it's a fascinating reading. It's about um, a, a group of women who uh, essentially help for, in the development of uh, the of NASA, but also um, yes. in sorry under- sorry yeah yes. I I now I remember what you mean yes yeah okay mm-hmm. all right. Yeah, because they allude to, I mean, the book alludes a lot to the struggle that these women faced, either because they were women or because of their ethnic uh, you know, um, origins in being black, uh, the difficulties that they faced in accessing 
you know, education and not only good education, but then advanced or further education. Mm. Um, so therefore, I mean, in, in Houston, you're saying that there was an entire institute which became a university dedicated to female students. No, no, no. Um, we had four male colleges and one women's women's okay. college. So it was uh, uh, it had men and women. It was not just uh, um, it was a university with with access from both sides. Mm. Um, I was very very curious, and I uh, we had some sponsors or mentors, and I once met one of the women and I said, uh, could you arrange for us? I have a group of five or six people who would like to go with me. I'd like to see the black college, the black university, because Houston University was all black. And I was uncomfortable with being in an all white school, although quite a number of my friends were in the first sit-ins. That was the sit-in. Uh, 1960 there were still sit-ins mm -hmm. and I couldn't participate but I could uh, try and find some bond money once they were thrown into prison um, I wasn't very successful because I didn't have the contacts but this woman when she, when I asked her could I could she arrange that we see the black university she looked at me and she said you're the first who ever thought of that of course I can. So um, she made it possible for us to go uh, and meet a history professor, his students, and a lot of other students uh, in the uh, at the college uh, at the university. And um, it was another. It was another uh, America. It was um, uppity up. It was, they, the the students at Rice University were either rich or they had they were bright and got scholarships. So there was not a, there was no no uh, medium in that. Uh, there was no uh, normal normalcy in that uh, setup. But it was such a normal setup in that uh, black university. You met people from all walks of life, and uh, they once they saw that uh, others approached you uh, without fear, they they did too. So again, I was lucky. So, so as in the the students of the Black University in Houston were also receptive to you, as in there that there was no. Um, animosity or sort of, sort of staring contests or sort of you no. know, dis distance, no? They, they were absolutely uh, flawed that uh, somebody from Rice would, would come and want to see them. And what was your interaction with them? Like, what did you talk about? Do you remember any of these, uh, any of the topics that you, you spoke with them about? Uh, I don't think we spoke about uh, racism. Uh, we spoke of, or we didn't speak about the racist methods in Texas because there were quite a few. Um, we talked about the general situation and then they started talking, uh, asking questions about where we came from. That was more important because, they, you know, they didn't get out as much as the others. 
So they were interested. They were. I had a, uh, a Chinese friend with me. I had an Indian friend with me, a male student, uh, and a uh, an Iranian woman. So you know, there was all of a sudden there was some kind of world coming together. So and that was. Sorry, were any of you of Anglo-Saxon descent of this group that you you uh, you took with you? No, uh, we, we were we were foreign students. All of you were foreign yes. students. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, my roommate would have gone right away. She she probably uh, uh, was in some kind of exams and so on and so forth. But uh, there were quite a number who would have gone with us if we had opened it up or if we had made a big deal about it. Um, no, it's, it was just uh, foreign students, and this is probably also why we were received so well. But uh, in the things that floored me, that really, really shook me, was when I heard that in Texas, in, in Houston, the school board had taken a book out of the library of uh, kindergarten because it had a white rabbit marry a black rabbit the mendel theory of you know mixed children and so on they were not allowed to read that in the library in 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 the uh, kindergarten or being read to and another thing was that catcher in the rye was forbidden at quite a number of colleges not at rice but uh, at quite a number of colleges and that kind of these little items were put together into some kind of uh, mixed picture of America I wasn't I, I loved America because I because I had such a good time there I learned so much but at the same time I was very much aware of what was going on and that was intensified later when I was uh, living in in uh, America I mean, I, I think we're going to have uh, uh, more than just this one discussion, Karin, because I really want to get into not only the social, not only the political, um, but also some of the other elements, the perhaps in some cases strategic, in some cases uh, psychological, um, and it's simply the you know, the basic human interactions and relations of, of the experiences that you've had, because there are many. Um, on, and on many different sort of levels. So I also want to talk about your your experiences with gender equality. I want to talk about your um, you know, your, your other experiences with uh, with different cultures and so on. But again, I, I don't want to rush through them because you are um, a, a lovely person. I know because I've got to know you personally. And on top of that, you are a, a fascinating wealth of information and knowledge. Um, and it's extremely personalized the way that you talk about it. And I love that. Um, and so this is why I'd like to speak with you on you know, as many occasions as you will allow me to do so. Um, but something you just touched on there strikes me uh, as being also uh, important today. So in 1960, and obviously this is perhaps a, a strategy uh, or a policy that had existed before then. So prior to 1960 as well. Um, this idea of controlling media, literature, learning to prevent people from having certain kinds of ideas 
to slow down perhaps this uh, dormant uh, human intellectual form of processing the possibilities of human interaction by not allowing certain kinds of literature, certain ideas uh, to flow freely, even in educational institutions. And, and this is also something that we touch on in modern life through a different medium called the internet um, and misinformation or the control of information. Um, and, and it strikes me as amazing that, you know, the 60 years apart, technology is a world apart, and yet the aims are perhaps almost identical. Um, for me to understand Trump uh, was relatively easy because I'd been to Texas. Uh, in Texas, you were not allowed to teach anything about communism. And you were not allowed to talk or teach about the United Nations. And when Trump left all kinds of uh, aspects of the United Nations, I had an aha, uh -huh, that's where it comes from. It was um, something that was more exp uh, exposed in, in Texas than in some other southern states. But um, Trump had a lot of context to Texas and uh, he was protecting the oil industry and so on and so forth. So uh, that's where it came from. And I could understand why. Uh, I couldn't understand why, but I could understand that, that it was so. So there was a, an arc between 1960 and uh, 2020. Very strong. There, some, many, many things were still there that were that I recognized in in a minor po po uh, position, and as a young student, um, and rediscovered with with uh, more political insight and more uh, more experience, life experience uh, this, these last years. So I wasn't I wasn't really surprised that there were rightist tendencies in America, that there were uh, vigilante uh, groups. I'd met quite a number of them in one way or another. Uh, began with with the Nazis, the Nazi uh, the Nazi organizations that were international, but also very strong in, in America. Um, so I'd seen rednecks threatening free speech when I was uh, at Rice, uh, not at Rice, but when I was at Cincinnati and was um, representing the Goethe Institute at the University of Cincinnati and had a Jewish filmmaker who had been in exile in Switzerland, come with two of his uh, documentary films on Nazism. And of the uh, 16 German associations in Cincinnati, there was a 17th 
and that was the umbrella. And the head of the umbrella was a Herr von Riestenberg, who called me and said, uh, you know, you cannot have this guy there with, with, the, two with the films. Uh, that's all lies. That's fake news. He didn't use the word fake news. Mm. He said that those are lies. Irving has said that is not true. The, the, uh, the camps weren't true and the deaths weren't true. So, um, as I said, I don't scare easily. I said, I'm sorry, uh, but of course we're going along. I went into the, the auditorium and there were some 400 American students. And in the middle, right in one row, a row of 20 rednecks. You could see them. You, you, they were, they were there present. They showed their presence. And then um, the film started, and uh, the first film started, and it had the liberation of the Auschwitz camp with all the very, very detailed pictures of bodies and so on. And um, they started arguing, you know, we want to say something, this is not true, and so on and so forth. And Liza, the, the film director, um, went up on stage once uh, one of the films broke and he asked them again to ask, uh, uh, ask, told them again to ask their question. And they reiterated that, uh, reiterated that question. And he said, uh, gentlemen, I have shown this film to Nazis of the highest order who are still living in Germany and not one questioned the truth of every picture of this. And some were even uh, taken by the Nazis. So these, this whole row, almost, you know, you could see them sink into the chair. They couldn't respond. There was no response. And that taught me a lot that with a strong back, you can push back all that shit better than with screaming. I am, you know, I, I, I want to put, um, I'd love actually that word or that sentiment of yours to be the concluding element of this first conversation. Um, and, you know, that last part that you refer to, so Cincinnati was a part of your life from 1967 to 75. Uh, and I can imagine that you've got a number of... 77. 77. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can imagine there are some wonderful uh, you know, stories as well that you can add to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so after after we've sort of uh, concluded this first bit, then we can start to plan as to you know, when we can uh, get together again for our next session. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on uh, being able to express these things after such a, you know, such a long time has passed? Do you? Um, do you sense the, the the need perhaps to to some to tell your story as well to people because there are lots and lots of you know, people my generation me included um, who have not been privy to these details. There, there I, I sometimes I I listen to a, a podcast or I read a book and 
you know, I'm flailing about in the dark because, you know, as much as I like to think that I'm enlightened and open-minded, there are just so many details which elude me because I was not there. I didn't experience it. I didn't see it. Um, and, um, you know, and I think, you know, by listening to, to your words, the way that you, 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 uh, you tell your, your tale, um, it, it gives me valuable insight. Um, is that something that you, you would like to, you know, perhaps also you know, contribute to the, uh, you know, the, this mass of, uh, of information, but, you know, that valuable information which can only come from your presence in, at the time? Uh, let me be truthful. I wasn't quite sure how I would how I would talk, what I would say, because I didn't want to talk. In in a way, I have a hard time talking about myself. And since uh, very few people here are interested in going through that period again, many of them have never gone through that period again, and intellectually. Um, I have one or two people I could talk to openly. And when we started, I, without really deciding, it, I couldn't be but open because um, I'm not, it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve any, any purpose to not be open. And whatever other purposes it serves are fine with me. And yeah. I don't, you know, even if, if I open myself to, to, uh, up to, to uh, counterattacks or whatever by whoever, um, as I said, if you have a strong back and if you're not afraid, you can push back. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. That, um, that the people who listen to this uh, will not in any way be overly critical or critical at all, essentially. Um, I don't think there are, I don't think there's anything that you have said here which anybody could uh, push back against unless they've been there, I'm unless not, they have experienced yeah. it, you know. I'm, uh, I'm, as I said, I'm not afraid and um, you never know in these times what comes from the other side. And there is always another side. Mm. Um, but uh, let's forget about that. Sure. sure. Let's simply go on talking. Absolutely. Again Absolutely. and again. For, Absolutely. You, you have my, I know I have your ear and you have my voice. <laughs> this is a wonderful way of putting it. And uh, I, I'm so grateful as in I, um, ever since the, the, the possibility uh, came about that we would be able to have uh, this series of conversations i've really been looking forward to you know to just getting started um and it's essentially been uh, a real exercise in self-control because i I've, i wanted to email you almost every day how's it going how's the technology coming <laughs> along has somebody got your computer going you know but uh, i also know that um it, it's just not possible to continuously badger you i know that you uh, you, you had some no uh, i'm free now yeah, okay, I'm free sure. now. No problem. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I may even uh, be able to enter the whole uh, system again the next time. 
that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let me bring this one, this this first sort of introductory podcast to an end. And then if you give me a moment, then we will be able to talk about planning the next one. But uh, just for this particular episode, Karin, thank you very much. You are fascinating uh, to listen to. Um, and yeah, Don't your openness is brilliant. Now. Don't butter me up. I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. Um, brilliant. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. What can I say? You're welcome. No, thank you. Because uh, you got me, you got me talking. I didn't yes. want to, I, you know, I was, I wasn't quite sure whether I'd uh, be that open, but you got me talking. Thank you. A pleasure. Absolute pleasure.